One thing I forgot to mention is we will have a um, building project table set up in the gym after this service. If you have any questions about the building fund or the boiler fund, if you have any advice for us on how we could best uh, solve these issues, feel free to stop by the building fund table. I'll be there. Ken Teasing and one of our deacons will be there. We would love to talk to you about that. Okay, Faith in the Fire is the new series, Faith in the Fire. Today the topic is poverty and affluence. We learned that there are six different things James wants us to learn, uh, six different ways God will test our faith. And James wants us to learn wisdom, he wants us to learn trust through these six tests. Uh, in the back here, conflict, sickness, we also have words and learning to love other people who are in need. Today, today the Bible deals with two in particular, the topics of money and of time. These are areas of pressure, these are these are tests that come our way, money and time. Hey, is money causing you grief, headaches? Is your faith being pressed and tried and stretched by money? Are you 100% content with where you're at financially in life? God will use money to test our hearts. And we'll see in the Bible today, there's two ways that our hearts can be tested. We can have too little or we can have too much. Both our tests, both will prove our heart by the trial. Maybe you have plenty. Maybe you're struggling and burdened, worried about losing it or struggling to manage it wisely. Maybe you have too little. Maybe you're trying to make ends meet. Maybe you're, maybe you're pouring over your retirement plans, wondering how it's going to work out because you have less than you thought. Maybe you think if you had tons of money, your problems would all go away. Yet, how do you feel when you see someone who has tons of money? We scoff at those people out there who have tons of money, don't we? Because, because they're so affluent and, and comfortable and and proud, and, and you really want you to be them? I heard something crazy a few months ago. I heard that in New York, they're selling golden donuts. Have you heard about this? I've got a picture so that you know I'm not making it up. You can buy a donut with gold on it. You can eat the gold. It's a $100 donut, and for $100, it better be edible. It's a golden cristal ube donut. The Manila Social Club golden cristal ube donut has icing made with cristal champagne. And it's filled with an ube mousse and cristal champagne jelly and covered with 24 karat gold. Every single donut is handmade by Manila Social Club's executive chef and co-owner Bjorn de la Cruz. And hand gilded in 24 karat gold dust and 24 karat gold leaf. That could be yours. Over $1,000 a dozen, $100 per donut. Let me ask you a question. If you walked past someone in New York who was eating a golden donut, would you say, that's who I want to be like? Yeah. No! If you're eating a golden donut, you have major issues. <laughs> Big problems. It's too easy to tell ourselves that if we had tons of money, all of our problems would go away when we know that those who have tons of money have been spoiled too often by their affluence. We're no different than them. 
The truth is, money will test your heart whether you have it or whether you don't. How can we pass that test? Let's pray and then we'll learn together. Father, we know that you want to grow our faith. You want to grow our faith in many ways. So today, show us through finances, through money, in your word, how our faith can grow stronger and not weaker. How we can trust and love you more and not less when the winds and the weather of our finances change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 9. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 9. Pastor Dave did a fantastic job last week when he uh, preached from the verses just before this about asking God for wisdom and not being like a doubter who's driven and tossed by the wind. That person will receive nothing from God. In verse 9, it says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Throughout James, you find him contrasting simple things, wise and foolish, rich and poor. He does this to bring clarity to how God's people should walk wisely in that particular area. And here this morning, he talks about the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. There's really only two verses we're covering, or three verses we're covering this morning. And there's two points. The first one in verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That doesn't sound right. Lowly stands here for economically impoverished. The poor brother. Brother means he's a Christian. James is a pastor talking to people, most of whom are in the lower socioeconomic class. They're struggling to make ends meet in the Roman Empire. Not only were many of them in his audience Jewish, which were frowned upon by the mighty Romans, but they were Christian Jews. They had become this sect, this cult, this offshoot, further despised. This cost them land, this cost them jobs, this cost them status. They were the lowest of the low. And how can James say to those people, let the lowly brother boast in anything? He says, in his exaltation. Hey, write this down. Number one, be joyful and confident when you are in need. He tells those who are lowly, who are in need, who don't have even the necessities, he says, hey, boast. That idea of boast is the same idea we find back up in verse 2 where it says, count it all joy. Rejoice, exalt, sing. Count it as reason for praise. Be joyful when you are in need. This also echoes what we heard last week. We should not be double-minded when we are in need. We shouldn't be crippled by anxiety or doubt. We we should be joyfully devoted to worship the Lord in any economy. This life is filled with many trials. We have to make sure our net worth doesn't decide how loudly we praise the Lord. You'll come to church on Sunday when things are going well. It's easy to sing on those weeks. You'll come to church on Sunday when you don't know how it's going to work out. Harder to sing on those days. Will you? Will you be joyful when you have too little? 
Poverty is a trial, and everyone will know times of want. Will you boast, count it all joy when you're in need? Will you worship and sing louder when your worth goes down? Or will you sing softer? He says here, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What does that mean? The context seems to uh, most likely mean what's coming. Let, Let the lowly brother boast in the exaltation that is coming. Based on what you know, based on where this life is leading, based on what your father has promised, boast like it's already there. But it's not just a future tense. It's not just what God is going to do. It also looks back to what God has already done. He has already exalted you. And it talks about what's happening right now. He is lifting you up. We'll talk about each one of those tenses one at a time. God will lift you up. I imagine the listeners, James's audience, were under the thumb of the rich who were around them. They felt like they had no power, no security, no control, no influence, and James says, boast in your exaltation. Hard to do. They were abused. They were around corrupt people. Hey, maybe this is your life. Maybe you're around those who are corrupt. They're abusing you. They're taking advantage of you. They're pushing you down economically. And guess what? God sees it. And it's only a matter of time before it's done. And he calls them to account. Time is also featured in this message. He doesn't just give us tips for how to manage our money right now. He tells us what time will do financially to the rich and to the poor. Hey, be joyful and confident when you are in need because God will exalt you and lift you up. Let's talk about how God has already exalted you. Write this down. Be joyful and confident when you are in need because you were called into the kingdom of heaven. You have been exalted already in the past. In the book of James 2, verse 5, it says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Wow, God looks down and sees those the world doesn't see, and he has made them rich in faith. He has made them heirs of the kingdom. He has made them full partners in all of the joy that is coming. God doesn't judge you by your net worth. Listen, this is a big deal. Your net worth tells you nothing about how much God loves you. When you have a lot, it doesn't mean he loves you more. When you have nothing, it doesn't mean he loves you less. He doesn't care what you're worth in the eyes of the world. If you love him, you're his child. He has everything waiting for you in heaven. At the moment you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you become a child of God. And God is calling even the lowest of the low into his kingdom. In Luke 6, 20, we'll put it up on the screen. Listen to what Jesus said. Say this with me together. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. There he primarily means the spiritually poor who recognize their poverty before God. But he has the overtones of those of them that are lacking even the basic needs. Don't let anyone or the world make you feel small because of your income. 
Don't gauge your own worth by what's going on in your portfolio. God loves pouring his love on lower class ordinary folk. Look what he did to David. David was the shepherd boy. He was basically in charge of a petting zoo. He didn't even get to go off to battle when there was war in the land. And yet when Samuel came to town and looked at all the big, strong, tough, handsome brothers, he's like, yeah, you got anything better than this? And in came the little shepherd boy, and Samuel said, king, king, mighty warrior. God looked down at Joseph when he was in jail, falsely accused, rotting, life sentence, and overnight God made him ruler of Egypt. God looked down on Mary, lower class Mary, and sent his son down to be born into her family. They had nothing. He was a carpenter, poor family. God could have chosen the palace. Instead, his son was placed in a stable, in a manger. His own son was sent down into poverty. God calls us into the kingdom of heaven, the lowest of the low. Hey, maybe you're tempted to feel powerless or unimportant or helpless because of your finances. In the eyes of God, you're priceless. He spent his son to buy you out of slavery. Never doubt how valued you are by him. And don't let your money tell you how much you're worth to God. Be joyful and confident when you are in need because you were called into the kingdom of heaven. Next, jot this down. Because you are greatly loved and richly blessed. Are, right now. You were, if you put your faith in Christ, exalted to the status of partner, son of God. You are right now being exalted. In that sense where it says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, it can be read a call to you as you're struggling to boast right now because God is lifting you up. He's hearing your prayers. He's meeting your needs. You just don't see it yet. We're supposed to pray as if God has already answered our prayer. We're supposed to believe that we have it before we have it. That's confidence. That's boldness. That doesn't mean God always gives you what you want. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. That's a false gospel. But listen, while you wait... Assume you have a yes until God says otherwise. That's the heart of the bold child of God. My father has heard me. He is lifting me up. He is, this is a big deal. He is not failing to love me. Say that to yourself. He is not failing to love me. Never once, not now. He is lifting me up. I just don't see it yet. Where is your faith? You are greatly loved and richly blessed by the Lord. Right now, He wants to secure you. Right now, He wants to satisfy you. Right now, He wants to show off His ability again to meet your needs. He is generous, and He promises to provide when you ask time and time and time again. Do you have this confidence? Lauren and I have gone through many trials. We've experienced many different needs. Uh, we were both teachers, and uh, after the first year of being married, we found out we were pregnant. We were going to wait five years to have a baby. One year in, our daughter Ellie couldn't wait to arrive into the world. So we got pregnant a year in. She was born in our second year of marriage. 
And we started building our family up, and God called me into ministry in 2002. So we had just, uh, he started prompting me into ministry. So I went part-time into ministry, and then by 2004, I was ready to turn and leave teaching behind and become a full-time pastor of a smaller church that couldn't pay my salary. They said, we've got about half of what we'd like to pay you, and we're trusting the Lord that the other half will come in once you're on staff. And I said, I'll do it. God will do it. And he did. We never missed a paycheck. Came on staff 2004 as a full-time pastor, and Lauren stayed home. We'd made that commitment before we were married. Hard times. 2004, Cassie came along just before I left teaching behind. Then I started seminary at Moody, and I didn't know how a penny of that would be paid. We didn't have money for me to get Bible training. And people, one by one, started approaching me. We never asked for a dime, and people started giving us money for seminary, over $25,000 over a four-year period. I never paid a dollar for seminary. We never asked for a dollar. God brought it all in. Then then the stretch of faith came, and we were supposed to leave that church and plant this church, and we didn't know how we were going to launch this church. One of the big trials, though, is we had to sell our house. We own a house near Wheaton in Winfield. We had to sell that so that we could come down here and plant the church. We listed it, and we had an open house. We put balloons on the mailbox, and nobody showed up. I was like, God, I'm doing great things for you. I'm planting a church for you. Why are you not helping me sell this house so I can move down to the area to which you have called me? I was moping, I was arguing, I did not want to rent that house out, but Lauren and I talked and we fought and we discussed and what's the best plan? Stressful! We finally decided we're going to list it. Uh, We're going to list it as a rental. And God brought this woman along, single mom, widow, sound biblical? Single mom, widow, comes along, and she's like, I want to rent the house. And I'm like, how how can you afford this house? Oh, I've, I've got a bunch. I'm like, all right. She said, the only thing is I don't really like writing checks, so can I just give you one check for the whole year? <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was in 2010. We're going on the seventh year, and she's giving me one more check for this whole next seven years in a row. She's given me one check because she doesn't like to write checks. Does that sound like a God thing to you? That sounds like a God thing to me. So I poured contempt on my pride and learned a ton. But what I really was learning was I'm greatly loved and richly blessed. God wanted to lift me up out of my need. I just had to trust him. He's sustaining us in that area. I don't know what your trial is right now, but you have to bring it to him. You have to trust that he is already at work because he loves you and he wants to bless you. Don't believe the lie that if you just had more money, all of your problems would go away. Honestly, if God looks into your heart and he knows more money would diminish your relationship with him, why would he give it to you? God, what I really want is for you to be unnecessary in my life. Please give me money so I can make that happen. He will never do that. And if you're praying and longing and hoping for you to never need God again, repent of your pathetic prayers. Because God won't answer them. Jot this down. Be joyful and confident when you are in need because you were called into the kingdom of heaven, past tense. You are greatly loved and richly blessed, present tense. And you will soon share in Christ's inheritance, future tense. It's coming. 
You will be exalted. You will be lifted up. God wants you to find security by believing his promises before they happen. God wants to be the authority on the future that you are expecting. There's so much uncertainty when it comes to money. What's going on in the economy right now? Oh, the China bubble's going to burst. Oil keeps dropping lower and lower and lower. What's going on in the world? We're so afraid. We have all this money and we're so afraid. We can't defend ourselves. We know it. We're afraid. We're terrified. Why are we launching missiles off the California coast to intimidate our rivals? Because we're terrified that they're going to find out we can't protect ourselves. There's so much uncertainty because money can't protect us. We know that. And in your life, money can't protect you. But soon you will share in Christ's inheritance. You will be exalted and nothing can change that. In Ephesians 3.8, it says this. The Apostle Paul wrote, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The gospel and all that comes with Jesus here is described as unfathomable wealth. When you find Christ, you find everything. He is the treasure of God. You don't need anything this world can give you anymore. You'll leave this world empty-handed, and you'll never need anything again. What does that say about how much, how much hope you put in the gold of this world? It's all fool's gold. None of it will make it through the fire and on into eternity. So guard your heart against what you want your future to be about. You will be blessed with unfathomable riches in heaven. Hey, listen. The money, the gold in heaven, is just the start. They make parking lots out of gold in heaven. And I'm not saying, oh, oh, are you saying when I get to heaven, I get a goodie bag filled with gold? Get your mind off the stupid gold. God is the treasure. It's all his. He owns everything. And if you see a being who owns everything and is more valuable than the sum total of the universe combined, and you're like, where's my goodie bag? You don't get it. You don't get it. It's like your kid liking you a lot that day for $5 to buy a very unhealthy lunch at school. They don't get it. You've got much more to give than a pizza bagel. They're missing it because they're looking at the pizza bagel. You will soon share in Christ's inheritance, but God is the treasure. So be joyful. He's already yours. You're already him. You're already his. Be confident because nothing can take that away from you. James is giving us reasons why we can be joyful and confident when you're in need. You were called into the kingdom of heaven. You are greatly loved and richly blessed. You will soon share in Christ's inheritance. So rejoice. Then he talks to the rich. He goes on to say this in verse 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade. Fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Write this down. Be humble and cautious when you have plenty. 
Be joyful and confident when you are in need. Be humble and cautious when you have plenty. The Greek just says, the rich, let the rich. It doesn't say the rich brother. Some scholars say, well, the brother kind of applies to it still, but I think the best way to understand this is he's talking about rich unbelievers right now, okay? He's about to talk about the destiny of rich unbelievers, but he's talking to us. You following that? He's talking about the future of the rich unbelievers, but he's talking to us so that we learn the lesson. Whether we have money or whether we don't have money, whether you would be considered well off or don't have enough, he's talking to you based on what we see in the unsaved rich person's future. Based on the end of their story, none of you should glory or rejoice in wealth. Therefore, humble yourself and be cautious because money is testing your heart. Humble yourself and be cautious because money is testing your heart. Catch that again. The rich should boast in his humiliation. What does that exactly mean? That means that when you have money, you're tempted to boast in money. But if you look at the end, if you look at where the time will take you, you'll lose it all. Based on the fact that you will lose it all, boast in your humiliation. This is a way of him mocking the rich. When they glory in their money, he's saying, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. You're boasting in your own downfall. The more you talk, the worse the fall will be when in the end, you unbelieving rich oppressor who's holding my people down. In the end, it's all gone. He's kind of mocking them. Keep talking. Boast, boast in your total downfall. Based on that, we should guard our hearts against what they're boasting about. There are many in our world who have a lot of money and they really want you to know they have a lot of money. Perhaps you've heard of a man named Donald Trump. If you haven't heard of him, he lives in a 100, pull out the uh, article here. He lives in a $100 million apartment in New York. We've got pictures of it. He really wants you to know how wealthy he is. He's got gold everywhere. Floor to ceiling marble, ceilings painted with scenes from classical Greek myths. He lives in the 66th floor penthouse overlooking Central Park. 24 karat gold accents, platters, lamps, vases, crown molding. And he bought his son a toy Mercedes to drive around the place. He really wants you to know just how rich and famous he is. He reminds everyone all the time how successful he is in business. He's inherited hundreds of millions of dollars. He glories and revels in his wealth. He flaunts his wealth. In addition to New York, he's got other places. He's got an 80,000 square foot mansion in Palm Beach, Florida, 58 bedrooms, 58 bedrooms. What caught my attention after the recent uh, Republican national debate is um, in an interview right after the debate, Donald Trump said, I'm a strong Christian. And he suggested, he suggested that the IRS audit was happening maybe because of his faith. All right. 
I'm not weighing in on who we vote for for president, whether or not Donald Trump would make a good president. What I am weighing is how he presents his wealth and how he describes his faith. To, to think that the IRS has looked into his life and found him to be such a strong believer that they really need to religiously discriminate against him is laughable. It's laughable because of just how big of a deal his money is to him. This message in James chapter 1 is for him. Let the rich boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. He will soon come to nothing. This is a message for him, and it's a message for you. Based on what will happen to the boastful, bragging, self-conceited rich man who glories in his wealth, guard your heart, because if that's his end, what will be yours? Do you see how this plays out in real life today? We're supposed to be humble and cautious when we have plenty. We're supposed to guard our heart against glorying and greed. If we boast and trust in riches, soon time will take it all away. If we assume because we have money, God must be with us, we're fools. The money in your bank account tells you nothing about how God loves you. There's a danger in being double-minded, two-souled, loving money, trusting money, and yet saying you love God at the same time. It's impossible. The Bible says it's impossible to set your heart on money, to glory in money, and to love God at the same time. One of them is your master. One of them is your servant. Be humble and cautious when you have plenty. Why? Well, write this down. Because you were called down from worldly glory. It says that the rich man is supposed to boast in his humiliation, being brought low. What does that actually mean? Well, the rich man, whether he's a Christian or not, is being called down from his worldly glory. He will, in time, be stripped down from his worldly glory to rags. It's coming. So, in advance, in the book of James, James is calling down these rich fools from their worldly glory now, before it's too late. And God is calling Christians who have more than they need to avoid the pitfalls of the rich of this world. Looking back to your past, do you understand that when you were saved, you were brought low in the eyes of this world? God chooses the despised, the lowly, the things that are not. He didn't look into your life and see all the value that you have and say, i got to get that guy on my team. Jesus says, if you don't forsake everything you have, you can't be my disciple, meaning you are willing to give it all up at his command. None of it has your heart anymore. That's step one to being a follower of him. Leave it all behind or you can't follow me. You recognize none of it's yours. All of the worldly glory in this life goes away. You have been humiliated and humbled, and you've become a Christian, the mockery of the world. You have a new identity. You have been called down from worldly glory. Why? Because money can't secure your future. Never could. Money can't solve your problems. Never could. Money can't satisfy your heart. It never will. 
He who loves money never has money enough, the Bible says. It will never be enough because it can't satisfy you. Only God can. But it's possible to have money and to glorify the Lord. It's not like everybody who has money, Jesus is going to show up and say, it's time to give it all away. You can have money and you can still glory in Christ. I love that the new... Uh, I love that the new show Fuller House just came out. How many of you watched the first episode of Fuller House already? Come on, put your hands up. Men, don't be shy. My hand is up. I watched it. I watched the first two episodes. My kids loved it. I loved it. My mom loved it. For the first time, my mom is going to join Netflix because she wants to watch these episodes. (laughs) Fuller House, they're back. The 80s spectacular hit Full House has now become Fuller House. And over there on the right is Candace Cameron Bure. Uh, She's Kirk Cameron's sister. She is a strong evangelical Christian who has stood her ground even though she has resurged in the limelight limelight recently. She's been on Dancing with the Stars. She was on The View for a while. Here's a picture of her on The View. On that episode in particular, she had to stand her ground on her view on homosexuality, gay marriage, and and whether a a cake baker should be forced to make a cake for for a, a gay wedding. And wow, wow, standing her ground... And every chance she gets, she is making much of Christ. You go to her website and she has a testimony about how she found Christ and and her brother told her that she was breaking God's law and she humbled herself and repented and she calls everybody who hears to repent and to receive Christ as Savior. Her brother Kirk Cameron was driving along. He was 18 years old. He had more money than you'll ever have in your life as an 18-year-old. And he pulled over on the side of the road and he felt empty and bankrupt before God. He gave his life to Christ. There are people who have money, but money doesn't have them. They've been called down from worldly glory. How foolish, how foolish it would be if we chased the dreams that disappointed them. There's nothing there at the end. Jot this down. Be humble and cautious when you have plenty. Because you're dying like a flower. It says here, let the rich boast in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. This is poetic and pretty, but it's also a dig. James sees the richest guy at the most luxurious party in the finest clothes with the biggest ring and the bling, and he's like, prettiest flower on the dying field. It's like a slap across the face. It's a poetic slam. Oh yeah, good looking, dead by sundown. Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Our own mortality should humble us. The imagery here in James is found also in Isaiah 40 and in Psalm 90. You can check those passages out later, but this is a common way of describing the brevity of life for all of us. And based on the fact that we will soon be like a flower, blooming by morning, dead by evening, we should be careful what gets our hearts. The flower symbolizes how the rich look. But then it goes on to say this in verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat. What does that mean? This imagery means the sun will come up and it's not a good weather day to be a flower. There is a scorching hot wind 
a baking solar heat coming down on the dry climate around Jerusalem. The locals would have known exactly what this means. The same sun and weather and rain that caused the flower to grow up is now different. And the wind in Jerusalem can get so fast and so hot in a day all the flowers of the field can die. This sunrise, this bad weather coming up can symbolize divine testing or judgment. Meaning like the man who built his house on the sand, when that day comes, nothing will be left of him by evening. He doesn't have the root system or the foundation to survive the test. This is a symbol of divine judgment coming. When his time comes, all of it's going away. Bad weather, everything changes. The rich are fragile, they're perishable, beautiful for a moment, quickly buried and forgotten and replaced. Time forces all of us to face our mortality. It says the sun comes up, verse 11, and then it withers the grass. The conditions change. The field is different. Their security, their foundation is gone. This could, be, this, could, this could actually be the end of the end when they pass along and die. Or it can be a really bad market year. And away it goes. The grass dies. Then it says its flower falls. Tragedy. Floor drops out. Sudden bomb goes off in the in the business, flower dies, and then its beauty perishes. Away goes the legacy and the glory that they were so feverishly trying to hold on to. Check this out. Here's a sunflower. They're so pretty. You see pictures of them all over the place in hotels, McDonald's. You'll see sunflowers everywhere because they're so pretty, but check it out. Just after a little while, that's a sunflower. How come that picture never gets put up? Welcome to our glorious hotel. Is that a dying sunflower? Well, time is coming. You can't stay young forever. No one puts that picture up. Check out this next one. Gone. Behold, says the Lord, the future of the rich. Don't believe. Why is everything going so right for them? They're getting away with murder. They're dying like a flower on the field. Just wait. It'll happen. This is horrifying to the person who is actually comfortable and well-off right now in life, assuming God loves them because of their wealth, putting no effort into a relationship with God. Listen, this is a horrifying thing that the God of the universe is saying to you right now. All of it can be gone by sundown. All of it! can be gone by tonight. What then will you have waiting for you in heaven? Jesus says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul and is not rich toward God? Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Moth and rust cannot destroy. Treasure in heaven. You're dying like a flower. It will all be gone soon. Time helps us to face our own mortality. And in the end, time will ultimately claim every penny that is now yours. It'll all be in the junkyard. Money cannot secure your future. You're dying like a flower. When I was at a, the senior pastor retreat two weeks ago, 
What a blessing. There were over 100 pastors from Harvest Churches all around the world there. A guy from Scotland came in. A guy from Romania came in. And we were all sharing God's stories of what's going on in the fellowship. Wow. We've got 150 Harvest Bible Chapel church plants now. Isn't that exciting? And many of us, after the morning sessions, we went to the pool because it's warm in Arizona. Don't be jealous. So we're by the pool, and I went up to the bar to get water. There I was getting my water, and as I walked up to the bar, I was wearing this shirt that I, uh, this like runner shirt that I got when I ran my half marathon last year, and it had a Bible verse on the back. And, and as I'm grabbing the water, I hear this uh, woman's voice. She's like in her 50s, and she is drunk as a skunk. And I hear her say, turn around for a minute. And she grabs me by the arm and whips me around, and she's reading the verse on my back very slowly. And I'm just like, what is going on? I think it was from like Isaiah 40. And she gets to the end, and she's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's from the Bible. And she's like, really? And then she said, I'm in my bathing suit. And then she said, I think God wanted me at this pool today. And I said, you know what, lady? Look around. There are 50 pastors at this pool right now. And their wives. I said, maybe God did want you at this pool right now. And then, and then she said this. She said, a year ago, I almost died from a massive heart attack. She showed me the picture on her phone in, in the, in the uh, hospital. She's like, I have to go to the doctor tomorrow, and I'm afraid of what they're going to find. And then she said, why am I still alive? Why am I still alive? So I turned around, and I got uh, Pam Borenstein, who is the pastor's wife of Bill, uh, the, the church plant in Phoenix, Arizona. And she's one of the most godly, amazing women on the planet. And she walks right up to this woman and gives her the biggest hug on earth and says, sweetie, what's the matter? And they talk for like an hour. She invited her to come to Harvest Phoenix. I got to follow up and see what happens. Was that a God moment? Was, was that woman faced with her own mortality? Terrified of going to the doctor? Knew that she should have died a year ago? Doctors don't know why I'm still alive. Realizing that we are like that flower changes how we view this life. Soon, you'll be gone. So will I. What then of our money? Jot this down. Here's the last sub-point. Be humble and cautious when you have plenty. Because you were called down from worldly glory. Because you are dying like a flower. And write this down. Because you will soon lose everything on earth. It says here, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man Fade away, fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This describes the guy who had all of these plans and on his way in the midst of the business, down he goes. Never got where he was going. And never will. And never will. Not in the next life either. How different is your destiny when you lose everything on this earth? When you die and let it all go, you claim everything God has promised you. So much fear as people try to secure their existence through money and prosper in the eyes of this world. Listen, later on in the book of James, he says the judge is standing at the door. 
It's, it's as if Jesus is right there at the door and he's about to call your name. Given that urgency, turn away from the lies of the fool's gold of this world. Stop huffing and puffing and panting and lusting after the glory of this world. Your Father has you set for eternity. Don't chase what they chase. Don't believe what they believe. Soon you will let it all go. Then your future will begin. Listen, if you have plenty and you're tempted to feel powerful and important and influential and glorious, in the eyes of God, you are nothing without Christ. Do you know that? In the eyes of God, you are nothing without Christ. But if you humble yourself and repent and accept Christ as your Savior, you have an inheritance in heaven that will never spoil or fade or pass away. Our time is up. Let's stand together so I can dismiss us in prayer. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father in heaven, I wonder if there are some who are here this morning and they have never received the true riches of Christ. They have never, O oh Lord, called upon Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They don't know the peace that comes when God pours all the spiritual blessings in Christ into their soul. Lord, maybe right here and right now, that man or that woman will once and for all forsake their quest for the treasures of this life, just as Moses turned away from the treasures of Egypt. And they will ask Christ, save me, forgive me. I repent of my greed and my covetousness. I repent of my glorying in this life. Give me treasure in heaven. Give me yourself through your Son. Forgive all of my sins and give me the hope that one day I will walk streets of gold, but even better, I'll gaze upon your beauty without end. Lord, I pray that you would give that person who prayed that prayer the peace that transcends understanding. Pray that you would walk them through all of the deep trials of this life and help them to know by faith one day they will see your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.